Well, good morning, Redeemer. It is good to be with you once again. As Elbert mentioned, Redeemer is a very special church to me. This was a church that I was a member at when I was in seminary. And not only that, but this is the church that, that shaped and, and cultivated my heart and showed me what it meant to be a servant and what it meant to shepherd a church. But not only that, but it also helped me realize what it meant all the more to be a son, to be an adopted, forgiven, beloved son of the Heavenly Father that we all came to worship this day. And so I'm very thankful that I get to share this experience of Redeemer with a church that I get the privilege of now serving back up in, in Zeeland, Michigan. And I just want to thank this, the session for allowing me to be with you this morning and preach. I also want to give a special thanks to, to uh, Steve and all the team that have helped orchestrate this wonderful trip for us. And thanks to Albert. You know, Albert and I were interns together here, and to see that he is now serving as your senior pastor is uh, its very encouraging to see. And you are in wonderful, blessed hands as he shepherds your heart. Uh, with that, before we turn to God's word, would you please join me as we turn to him together in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather in this place, how appropriate, Lord, that the pulpit is in the center up front. Because, Lord, we are all gathered around it, if you will, and, and we gather because we are hungry. We are hungering for your word. We are hungering to know you more. And so, Father, we pray that as we open your word to us this day, that we would feast, that we would walk away satisfied because we would see the beauty and the wonder of Christ all the more. And so, Father, as we come before you, Father, we, we bow in your presence and we confess that we need you every hour, but especially in this hour as we turn to your word. And so, Father, we pray that what we know not, that you would teach us. And what we are not, that you would make us. And what we have not, that you would give us. And Father, I pray that if there is anything that is spoken of my lips that is not of your word, then may it fall on deaf ears and blow away like the chaff. Be with each of us here, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open them with me to the book of Genesis. Chapter 24, verses 1 through 27, and then verses 58 through 67. Genesis 24, beginning at verse 1. Hear God's word as he speaks to your heart this day. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. 
the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of the evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She, she said, Drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder, and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord, and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother, mother's household about these things. And then down to verse 58. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahar Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. 
and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of the Lord will stand forever. At the church I get to serve back home in Michigan, we have three young couples that are engaged and they are looking to get married this upcoming fall. And as a pastor, I always enjoy engaging engaged couples in premarital counseling. It seems as though even though they're very busy doing all of the preparation before that wedding day, I enjoy premarital counseling because it's the preparation that is to come for every day after that wedding day. And what I try to instill in them is that marriage is God's invention, that God designed it to be a gift to us out of his great love for us. That marriage is the vehicle that God uses to bless us with unique gifts that are to only be experienced within the confines of a marriage. God uses marriage as the means by which we, we grow and mature and understand all the more our own sinfulness, our own shortcomings, and our own self-righteousness. They seem to be all the more on display when we are in an intimate and personal relationship. And God uses marriage as an instrument by which we can experience and express then the gospel. It is within the, within the unique confines of a marriage that we are then able to experience forgiveness, grace, mercy, and love in powerful and personal ways. And because of this God-defined and God-designed purpose for marriage, that then means that the selection of a spouse and entering into the covenant of marriage is not a decision that any of us should ever take lightly. Because you see, who we marry is a, is a decision that will have one of the most profound impacts on the rest of your life. Who you marry dramatically affects the quality and the trajectory of the years that you will share together. Who you marry not only has an impact on your own life, but it has radical implications generationally, as your spouse will be a parent to your children, should the Lord bless you in that way. And who you marry will then have an influence on who your children marry and how they will then raise their own children. And so the decision to get married and to whom we marry is not a decision that should be solely based on our emotions that can ebb and flow or attraction or appearance that can change over time. And so the question I often ask couples when they come in for premarital counseling is, why him? Why her? And why now? And the typical answers that are often given are, well, well, he takes good care of me. She treats me real well. And those are not inherently bad answers. We, we certainly want to be married to someone who wants to take care of us. But the fundamental purpose of marriage is not to be served by your spouse. It is to serve your spouse. The question we should ask our heart is not, will they take care of me, but am I willing to take care of them? Am I willing to do so through good times and bad? Am I willing to do so in sickness and in health? Am I willing to do so for richer or for poorer? Am I willing to do so until death do us part? 
Am I willing to do so even when I don't feel like it? Am I willing to do so even when I don't think they deserve it? Am I willing to show that sacrificial love to my spouse because I understand the sacrificial love that has been shown to me in Christ? Do I understand how Christ has loved me, has shown me mercy, has shown me grace, has forgiven me, and has given me my spouse as a means by which I can show and share the gospel with another in a tangible and beautiful way? See, the beautiful thing is, is that when a husband and wife come together in marriage and they do so with that understanding of what it means to be married, marriage is a beautiful thing. And it is a beautiful expression of the gospel. And what we're given in our text here is the story of how Isaac and Rebekah were brought together in marriage. And in their story, we are given some basic principles we should hold on to when considering marriage. And that means whether we're single and hope one day to be married or whether you're engaged here this morning and you're counting down those days or even if you've been married a number of years, these are the basic principles that we should find and we should seek. And the first one is being equally yoked matters. Now, if, if you like whole milk and your, and your boyfriend likes skim milk, if, if your girlfriend likes Mississippi State but you cheer on Ole Miss... That doesn't mean that your marriage is doomed. That doesn't mean that your marriage is going to fail because you're unequally yoked in those matters. When I speak of being unequally yoked, I mean, are you on the same page when it comes to spiritual matters? And we see this in our own text. As it opens and it tells us that Abraham is now advanced in age. His wife Sarah has died and Abraham wants to make sure that his son Isaac gets married so that those covenant promises that God had made to Abraham will be passed on to his son and to future generations. And so Abraham calls one of his servants. And more than likely, it's Eleazar, a, a servant that we learn of in Genesis 15. He's kind of the, the chief of Abraham's servants. He would have been the recipient of, of Abraham's inheritance had Abraham not had a son. But then Abraham does something somewhat strange. He calls his servant over and he says, put your hand under my thigh. Now, that may seem odd to us, but we need to understand it within the context in which it's given. You see, it was back in Genesis 17 where the covenant sign of circumcision was given. And it was not only given to Abraham, but it was to be shown to Abraham's sons as well as his servants. And so what Abraham is saying to his servant as he says, put your hand under my thigh, is he's saying, remember the circumcision. Remember God's promises. Remember God's faithfulness. And when you try to fulfill this call that I'm placing on you, do so through the lenses of God's promises. So Abraham sets up two criterion, two stipulations for his servant as he will go out to find his spouse for Isaac. The first is found in verse 3, that the servant must not take a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites. And secondly, in verse 6, he must not take Isaac back to the land where Abraham came from. So why are these so important? Why is Abraham so adamant about these two particular things? Why couldn't, why couldn't Isaac just marry a local Canaanite girl? Why couldn't he just go on CanaaniteSingles.com and, and find a nice local girl and meet her, go out for coffee, and 
Well, that would be it. Is it because Abraham has a, is having a feud with the Canaanites? Does he just not like them? Is it like the Montagues and the Capulets that we read of in Romeo and Juliet? Or is it because the Canaanites are ethnically different? Is Abraham just inherently racist and doesn't want his son marrying one of those Canaanite women? Well, the reason these are non-negotiables for Abraham has absolutely nothing to do with a family feud. Has nothing to do with ethnicity, has nothing to do with race, and has everything to do with the fact that the Canaanites worshipped false gods. Abraham wants to make sure that his son Isaac is equally yoked spiritually to his wife. Abraham wants to ensure that his, his son's wife will push him and encourage him to the true and living God, will help him grow in his relationship with God and not draw him away from the true and living God. And that's the same reason why Abraham doesn't want Isaac to go to the land where he came from. He doesn't want his son influenced and pulled away from the promised land. And what we must see is that is the same principle that we are to hold on to as well when selecting a husband or wife. What we must understand is that it is impossible not to influence or be influenced by others. And the closer you are in relationship with someone, the more they have the opportunity to influence you. And that is why choosing friends and especially choosing a spouse must be done wisely. But the common pushback to this principle is, well, I love him. I love her. I can change them. I can influence them for the better, and maybe because of me, I'll bring them to church, maybe they'll become a Christian. So it's going to be okay. But what we must understand is when it comes to marriage, we don't marry someone based on their potential or on possibilities. And because of our own personal weaknesses and our own temptations and our own susceptibility to sin, we need to find a spouse who when we stumble and when we fall, can we can lean on who in turn will push us to Christ. When we stumble and fall, we'll say, I'm going to bring you to the cross. Who's not going to pull us away from the cross so we stumble and fall all the more? Now it does happen that in an unbelieving marriage that one of those spouses, by the grace of God, does come to faith. So does that then mean that the, the believing spouse now has to divorce their unbelieving spouse? Well, certainly not. Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 7. And he says, within those unique circumstances, the believing spouse is to stay married in order to, to influence their unbelieving spouse and their children. But that does not mean that as a believer, we should on the, we should on the front end of marriage unwisely unite ourselves to an unbeliever. After all, what does Paul write in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 34? You are free to marry whomever you wish, only in the Lord. Now, we may not be carrying the seed that would lead to Christ as Abraham was, but that does not make who we marry any less important, as you and I are called to carry on and pass on the seed of the gospel to our children. And that is why it is so important that we are equally yoked spiritually to our spouse. Not only will they have an impact on our relationship with the Lord, but that will affect future generations as well. If the seeds of the gospel are going to be planted in the hearts of our children, it is important that we marry someone who will help us cultivate the soil of those precious little hearts. 
Because unless children see unity between mom and dad, when it comes to spiritual matters, the tendency is that children always choose the path of least resistance. John Gresham Machen was a New Testament professor at Princeton Seminary. He would go on later to establish Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. And in his journals, he, he wrote how he was quite taken by this woman he had met who lived in Boston. He describes her as intelligent, beautiful, and exquisite. And she made every effort to believe the gospel, but this dear woman would never come to faith. And though they were quite devoted to each other, she was not devoted to the Lord. And so Machen had to make the very difficult, heartbreaking decision to end the relationship. What we must understand is that sometimes faithfulness to God requires very difficult decisions when it comes to the people we love, especially when it comes to marriage. Who we marry matters. Whether or not we are equally yoked spiritually matters. And then in verses 10 through 27, we are told how this servant traveled to the city of Nahor in Mesopotamia, where he stopped to give water to the camels. He then offers this, this beautiful prayer. He says, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman who, to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. And we read on. And before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. As this servant is, is offering this emphatic prayer to the Lord, the Lord is already answering this prayer by sending Rebekah his way. Now, before we think that the principle uh, that we are to draw out of this text is, well, Lord, I'm going to test you. Lord, I'm going to pray because I really want to get married. The next woman who walks through the door who's wearing a purple dress, that's the one for me. If we think that, we've missed the point altogether. You see, the servant's prayer was not asking for something arbitrary. What the servant was praying is, Lord, show me a woman who has a servant's heart. So Rebecca comes to the well. She sees these weary travelers and these thirsty camels, and what does she do? She could have easily just filled up her jar and went back home. But she offers drink to the servant, and she provides drink for the ten camels. And we have to understand what this would have meant. There were ten camels, our text tells us. Her jar probably carried about three gallons of water. A camel drinks between 25 and 30 gallons of water. Now, pastors aren't really good at math, but I figured that out. That means that's over 300 gallons of water divided by a three-gallon jug. It's roughly 100 trips between the well and the trough. This is not a, a woman who has taken on a small task. She shows great love and great compassion by her actions. Not only that, but what does she do? 
She invites the servant to stay with her family. And they play their own version of what we call back home Dutch bingo, where you try to see how you're related and how you may know one another and how your families might know each other. And it's sure to find out that she's related to Abraham. Now, why would this be significant? Well, earlier in the back of, in the, at the beginning of the book of Genesis, we are told how Abraham had left his homeland to go to the promised land. But, be, but before he did so, he started telling his family and his loved ones about the Lord. He started telling them about the promises that God was making to him. He was telling them about all the things that God was telling him about going to this, this promised land. Well, now when we consider this particular branch of Abraham's family tree, what do they think of old Uncle Abe? They say, you know what? Abe's a little nuts. He, he hears voices. He thinks God's talking to him. He thinks God's calling him to go and live in this new land. Is that how they respond? Well, how do they respond to his sermon in verse 31? Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Now, if you still have your Bibles open, if you see that word Lord, it's probably all capitalized. There's a reason for that. It's not a misprint. It's because that is the covenant name of the Lord, Yahweh. And so to one degree or another, this branch of Abraham's family tree believes in the one true living God. And so God has not only led the servant to Rebekah, who is equally yoked spiritually, but as we also see, she has a beautiful servant's heart. Now, why would a servant's heart be important for you and me to look for in our own marriages? Because what we must understand about ourselves is that our cruise control mindset, the way we normally live without trying, is to be inherently selfish. We're always looking out for number one. And so if we see someone who's exemplifying a servant's heart, who's looking for those opportunities to serve and care for others, what they're showing you is that they get the gospel. That the gospel for them is not something that they simply attend on Sunday. It's something that they live out every day of their life. And so when looking for a spouse, do you seek someone who is seeking to serve and love others, even when no one else is looking? Are you seeking someone who serves and loves others, even when those other folks cannot return the same kindness? That's what the servant saw in Rebekah. And it's what compels him to then worship and declare, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. Who we marry, and whether or not they have a servant's heart, matters. And then in the closing verses of our text, we see a remarkable obedience on the part of Rebecca. In verse 55, her brother and her mother are trying to coax her to stay just a little bit longer. Can you stay just 10 more days? Can, please, Rebecca, just stay 10 more days. How does she respond in verse 58? She says, I will go. Now think about that for a moment. Here's a young woman. Here's this stranger who's come to town who says, I, I have this guy I'm going to hook you up with. What does she do? I will go. Now, Bear in mind, this is a time when there's no Facebook, there's no Twitter, there's no Snapchat. She could just go and check his profile out, see what she was getting herself into. She goes, trusting in the Lord. 
Not only that, but the reality is, is that Rebecca would never see her family again. And yet in spite of all that, how does she respond? I will go. Rebecca is indeed showing that she is in the spiritual line of Abraham and Sarah who were willing to let goods and kindred go in order to follow after the Lord's will. Such a, a willingness to, to follow comes from a submission to and a trust in the plan of God. That kind of obedience to the promptings and leadings of God is a rare jewel. But when it is found, it is a beautiful blessing to a spouse. And it brings great glory to the Lord. Because what it shows is a heart that trusts in the Lord's goodness. It trusts in the Lord's love above all else and above all others. And so in pursuing a spouse, three attributes that we should look for are these. Someone who we are equally yoked to when it comes to spiritual matters. Someone who we see expressing a servant's heart and someone who is obedient to the will of the Lord. You know, throughout the sermon, I've been posing the question as, are you looking for these in another? But perhaps I should have posed it a different way. Do others see them in you? Because you see, there are those here this morning who are single and perhaps desiring to get married someday. There are those who are engaged and, and are counting down the days Till they stand before God and their church and their family, confess their love to one another. There are those here who have been married many years, and when they hear these, these basic biblical principles, they look in their own heart and they say, you know what? Honestly, I don't see it. I don't see those desires there. I look at myself and I look at my spouse and I say, you know what? We're not equally yoked. He or she is much further down the road than I am. If that is you this morning, pray that the Lord would allow you the grace and mercy to catch up. Perhaps you're looking at your own life and you're single and you say, you know what, honestly, I really don't have a desire to serve. I date, I go out because I want to be served. I want to be taken care of. What you're also saying is you're not ready for marriage. And perhaps you're, you're already married. And you say, you know what? We, we got together for the wrong reasons. I thought she was just supposed to serve me. He was supposed to serve me. And even though it may not have started on the right foot, may the Lord grant you a beautiful and greater understanding of the gospel where you see all the more the beauty and the wonder of how Christ has already served you and may that manifest itself in the way that you serve, love, and care for your spouse. And if you approach the will of the Lord kicking and screaming, know today that that affects your marriage. And that affects your children. And pray that the Lord would grant you a humbled and trusting heart toward him. So as we consider the story of marriage and as we consider our own call on marriage, let us not miss the picture of the gospel that is painted before us in our text. As we hear the story of, of Father Abraham sending his servant to find a bride for his son. Let us not miss the parallel that we see then in the gospel as God the Father sends forth his paraclete, his servant, his Holy Spirit to pursue a bride 
in the church for his son, Jesus Christ. See, Rebecca served not only as an illustration of, of what we should pursue in a spouse, and, and not only is a picture of how we should be in relationship with others, but for everyone here this morning, regardless of your relationship status, this speaks to us as members of the church, as the bride of Christ, and how we interact with our groom, Jesus Christ. Rebecca was thought of before she knew it, and she was chosen before she knew of the existence of her groom. By the grace of God, the same thing is said about you and me. You were chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. He knew you before you knew him. He loved you before you loved him. And just as the servant left home to pursue a bride for Isaac, the Holy Spirit pursues us and invites us to join him. Not for himself, but to draw us to the Son. And like Rebecca, we are to leave our old life behind and unite ourselves to our groom. But unlike Abraham, unlike Rebecca, excuse me, who was beautiful and pure, who was obedient with a servant's heart, each and every one of us here this morning know that we're not from the right family. We know that we're children of this world. Our, our beauty has been marred by our sin and our brokenness. Our purity was given away to many lovers and false gods. So how can people like you and me be that beautiful adorned bride that is spoken of in Revelation 21 verse 2? It's because of what our groom does for us. See, our groom loved us so much and desired us to be with him for all eternity that he says, I'll pay whatever price. You name it, I'll pay it. And he would come to this world taking on flesh and taking on our sin and taking our death upon the cross so that he could purchase his bride so that our sins would be washed away, so that we indeed would be that beautiful, pure, adorned bride for her groom. Even before Rebecca saw her groom, Isaac, she loved him. And that is our story too. The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. May we as individuals and may we as the bride together be a faithful bride like Rebecca, as we, by the grace of God and by the work of the Holy Spirit, are being carried on until we meet our groom, Jesus Christ where we will one day meet him in that new promised land of heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that continually points us to the beauty and the wonder of Christ. And we thank you for the gospel as it reveals how we are to practically live out what it means to be your bride, the church, and how we are to live as husband and wife as well. So Father, we pray that we would love our spouse as well. And may we love our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, well too. 
We ask this in his name alone. Amen.